What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Thank you very much, Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead. Stocks are roaring higher today after a string of bad economic news. Softer wage growth, a report that says the services sector is now in contraction. Is it all enough to change the Fed's higher for longer plan? That's what the market seems to be signaling. We'll look at how it's playing out from the macro to the markets to Main Street. Plus, it's decision day over at the FDA on whether or not to approve Biogen's new Alzheimer's drug. Could it set the tone for all of biotech this year? We'll ask. And he literally wrote the book on why you can't beat the market. Wall Street legend Burton Malkiel joins us with his current advice for investors. But first, let's talk about these markets. As I mentioned, the Dow's up 531 points or 1.6 percent. Exact same percentage gains for the Dow and S&P, by the way, and pretty much clockwork for the Nasdaq as well, up 1.6 percent. Yields were seeing some big action as well. Look at the 10-year yield today, 358. I think it was Carter Worth who just put out a note saying 3% could be next. The two-year note, this has come well off the highs. Also, just under 4.3%. But look at this spread. We have the two-year, the close yield, over about a point almost higher than the 10-year yield. That brings us to the three-month 10-year spread as well. This is a big headliner today, hitting the most inverted level Basically, in in history, in recent history, in, in about four decades or so, pretty much as far back as our tracking goes for this, this is negative by a full point, the three-month tenure. And as you just saw with the twos, tens, uh, very similar story. Doesn't bode well. We'll come back to that in a moment. But the chip stocks, which had been tumbling in December, are among the biggest winners today. Micron on pace for its best week in over a year. Lam Research up 5.5% right now. Different story for Chinese EV stocks. Xping, Liado, Neo, all sharply lower. Xping is down 15% right now, but check out Tesla, which has turned positive despite this backdrop and after initially falling about 8% on news of those steep price cuts in China. We'll have more on that story a little bit later on. But let's get right to the big story of the day. Are we already seeing enough of an economic slowdown that the Fed might call an early halt to rate hikes? We have slower wages, contracting services, and a deeply inverted yield curve. Could it even trigger a change at the Fed's next meeting later this month? Steve Leisman has a look at that macro picture picture for us. CapTrust CIO Mike Vogelzing is here with the market impact and MasterCard's chief U.S. economist Michelle Meyer is here with the latest spending data and what it all means for Main Street. Welcome, everybody. Steve, let's start with you. The answer to all your questions is no, Kelly. There are two big economic stories today that have ignited a massive rally in the bond market. It's driven down yields, propelled stocks. Take a look. You can see the two-year yield fall in two steps. First, the jobs number came out, then that ISM services index came out again, taking nearly 20 basis points off the yield. So what did the data say? Let's go through it. Headline payroll growth at 223 came in a bit above expectations. Unemployment rate falling to 3.5% down two ticks. But prior wage growth was revised down, and the December number was a modest 0.3%. 
participation rate going by two-tenths of a percent. More people in the labor market. That means less wage pressure. Revisions took off 28,000 to prior months. Still a pretty good report, though. The ISM services, though, falling below 50 for the first time since we were coming out of the recession in 2023. It's now suggesting contraction in that sector. The prices paid index also hitting its lowest level in 11 months. The market thought it all means less Fed. But Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostock, in an exclusive interview right here after the numbers, said he's still full steam ahead on hiking rates above 5% and staying there. What I think is the most important, actually, is just to hold there and stay there and let that policy stance really uh, grip the economy and, and just make sure that the, the momentum is fully arrested so that we get to a place where demand and supply start to come more into balance. In fact, multiple Fed officials spoke today and acknowledged some progress on inflation, but offered very little gim on rate hikes. So the market may have seen data included less Fed on the way, but the Fed didn't see it that way, Kelly. Uh, and we have dwelt a lot on whether their predictions have been right. So we're not going to torture that uh, aspect of it right now, Steve. I, I just think, you know, and it's interesting as, as well to look at these comments uh, that we're getting from Barkin, where, you know, she's sort of talking about nobody tracks the money supply anymore. And uh, this doesn't have to be a discussion about M2. In other words, it's that's not the only you know, indicator that would tell you that there's a slowdown. Even Alan Blinder, did you see his op-ed today in the journal, Steve, where he says inflation's already at 2% if you take, uh, you know, the trend of the recent several months forward? Well, I'd just like to say to Alan Blinder, who said people aren't talking about it, that I think you and I on this very show talked about the five-month annualized rate of inflation <laughs> falling. But he's right that it is not well ingrained out there that the last five months has been quite a bit better than the full year. So Alan, who is a good friend, saying nobody's talking about it. We are talking about it. We have talked about it. But I think the key here, Kelly, is what is the Federal Reserve embracing? Because we can think you and I what the right thing to do is. And I did, by the way, ask Bostic about that. He says he sees it. Look, I, I think the story is if you can keep getting inflation now, we got a big inflation report next week. That keeps coming down. Um, and we see signs of loosening in the job market, maybe we do 25 and maybe another 25 and that's it, hmm. get the 5%, and then they're going to hold it there for a while. But like I said, uh, Kelly, the way to think about the Fed is they're the forest ranger. And you and I might pour a bucket or two of water on the fire. They're going to pour five buckets on the fire, and they're going to stand around that fire and watch it to make sure there's not an, a single additional ember still aglow. Definitely how it feels right now. Uh, that's for sure. Steve, thank you, our Steve Leesman. All right. So meanwhile, what kind of shape is the consumer in these days? This one's been a little trickier to assess. It's a different environment with inflation. Michelle Meyer is the chief U.S. economist at MasterCard Institute, and she brings us the pulse of Main Street. Michelle, what are you seeing in the data? Well, you know, to us, the consumer is still um, out there spending. You know, when we look at the holiday shopping season, we saw um, holiday sales up 7.6% over the November, December period for total retail ex auto. So part of that includes strength in restaurants, certainly strength in terms of going out to um, for leisure activities. So the consumer is changing what they're spending. They are responding to the economic environment. But the reality is, is that the consumer still has the ability to spend, even though they're changing what they're buying, when they're buying, more promotional-based. Um, but And that, to me, is consistent with the message from today's jobs report. The economy is still adding jobs at more than double the pace they would need to break even to keep that unemployment rate constant. 
Um, wages are still rising, even if it's at a slower pace. So there's still income creation. There's still a labor market that's expanding and consumers are still spending in that environment. You know, anecdotally, I've heard people say they feel less well off now than even sort of during the pandemic and maybe beforehand. And I wonder if it's an effect of, you know, there were those stimulus checks, there were the child tax credits, you know, so much of that has run off. Now there's been some savings, perhaps those are depleted. Everyone's kind of back to normal, but realizing maybe, you know, what, will that new normal be sustainable? I guess that would be my question. Yeah, so Kelly, I think it is important to think about the change in the dynamics that are driving spending. So to me, the simplest way to break this down is that there's three main sources of purchasing power. There's income creation, there's savings, and then there's access to credit you know, debt expansion. Um, this time last year, those forces were more powerful. Job creation was even faster. Wage growth was even faster. There was more savings and there was even a healthier household balance sheet. Over the course of the year of last year, you did start to see those factors, you know, be utilized to some extent. But on net, they're still out there being supportive. Even though the pace of job creation has slowed, it's still very strong. Even though some of the savings have been worked off, we still have, on aggregate, a lot of, of money still left out there that hasn't been spent. And the balance sheet on aggregate still looks pretty healthy as well. So yes, consumers are responding that it's not as good as it was this time last year, but it's still on positive, on, on aggregate, pretty positive. Very, very interesting. Michelle, thank you. As always, Michelle Meyer with MasterCard. We turn now to the markets. Let's talk about stocks up strongly today on these rate pause hopes. But my next guest says it won't change anything for the Fed. And as a result, stay defensive. Mike Vogelzang is here now. He is the CIO at CapTrust. Good to see you, Mike. So you think they're, hey, you know, the, the defensive trade was certainly what worked in 2022. Can it sustain uh, throughout this year? Yeah, you know, I mean, I said in my notes, the market's got to take some Adderall. They're, they're so focused on Federal Reserve policy and inflation and so on. Um, you know, at some point, bad news in the ISM uh, index, services index, becomes bad news for corporate profits. Um, we're, we're trying to look for good news. The problem is either the Fed's going to hold rates higher for longer, which, which you know, the market seems to focus on, uh, you know, I don't know, yesterday. Uh, and then today, the, the market, is, market is focused on the fact that inflation may be coming down because the services index is so weak. Uh, at, at a certain point, we've seen uh, already, we've seen 2023 estimated uh, earnings fall from, you know, 250 to 230, 229 this past week. A share, um, you know, where does that end, and and at what point? If if markets were cheap on lowered earnings, we'd feel a lot better about about stepping up and getting aggressive here. But my goodness, you know, the market's been in a trading range. I think I think it was Santoli was just talking about it a minute ago. Yeah, the market's been basically trending sideways for almost three weeks, and and you know we're at the top of the range today with the with the big rally, but. We just don't think this has changed anything for the Fed. You know, there are some who come on, and, and I take their point and say, you want to lean against the consensus right now. Like I, I sort of was saying before, the defensive trade has worked very well, but, right. you know, all of a sudden, look at the market today. I mean, maybe it's time to be thinking about technology after the, the creaming that it's taken. I don't know. You have, to have yeah. I guess, pretty short time horizons for some of these things. No one's saying that, you know, but... But, you know, you could see the market dynamic changing rather quickly and even changing right now if it turns out they're a step ahead on the trajectory that rates are about to take in the next couple of meetings. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, the way we're, we're viewing it is not so much technology because technology has gotten 
you know, less homogenous, right? We, we, you have the sort of, sort of, um, uh, innovation, you know, unprofitable tech, uh, you know, led by ARC and so on last year, that, that stuff is pretty much done. Um, the, the thing that's been more durable and, and has had more, um, a longer term impact in the market has been the mega cap stocks, the Microsoft's, Apple's, Amazon's and so forth. Those we feel are, are going to continue to bleed. They have certainly not led the market this year. We, we expect that to be to that, that sort of is the deflation, right? We're going to deflate that bubble as a percentage of the S&P. So we are clearly looking at, at you know, inexpensive stocks. Um, you know, the home builders, the the, um, the 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 auto makers are trading at five and six times earnings. The airlines sure. incredibly inexpensive. Um, there's this whole raft of, of things that are sort of economically sensitive that are trading at, at mid-single-digit earnings. Those are the kind of things that have really short duration, if you want to think about it in terms of bond bond right. discussion. And, and that's where we feel pretty comfortable, sort of the higher dividend, more value, um, lower valuation in general. And, and you know, we're seeing it with, with, you know, if you think of Microsoft as the archetype here, for that sort of mega cap growth stuff, we just we just think that's kind of the last five years trade. It'll probably be unwinding for a while. Fair, um, fair enough. We've got we've we've set up our portfolios that way. Let me just finally uh, sort of reconvey what Aswat Demotorin told us yesterday, in which he said he basically owns all of I'll call it Fang. It's probably more like Mama these days. <laughs> right, he, exactly. He, basically, like that. he owns like all that. of mega cap tech except for Netflix. Essentially, um, thinks yeah. that's a little bit different story, but. His argument is that these valuations are now compelling. Um, and again, I, I, so I take your point about some of the areas that you think look cheaper, but why doesn't mega cap tech qualify? Well, the question, the, one, they still, they still are more expensive than the, than the broader market, right? The, the, the sort of 480 names in the S&P are still cheaper than the top 20. Um, and, but, you know, even though the differential is coming down, I, I think You've got to be very careful. Uh, these stocks are massive cash flow generators, and that's why they have outperformed, right? I know I'm speaking out of both sides of the mouth here, but at, at some point, we think the differential is going to come down. We're also worried uh, about some of the competition we're starting to see in cloud services. That has driven Amazon, it's driven Microsoft, and to some extent, Google. Hmm. Those, those, that competition is picking up. That's never a good thing. So at the margin, these sort of what what we consider a year ago perfect stories of, of, of cash flow, of, of higher growth rates, of consistent and durable um, financial models are beginning to weaken a little bit. And, and as a result, we just think, you know, money's going to go find other places that are less expensive. And, yeah. um, and that some of that leadership is gone. It doesn't mean you want to get out of them because they're they are very very powerful and strong companies. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to leave it without mentioning a couple of fun little picks here. Next star, local TV play, bet on political ads in this uh, polarized <laughs> environment. Starbucks, China, new leadership. Coterra uh, with NatGas doing what it's doing. So you'd be there for the long run as well? Yeah, I mean, look, the time, you, who knows where oil is going to go and energy is going to go, right? In general, I mean, who would have thunk that, that oil would, or, or gasoline, gas rather, would be cut in half over the last number of months? Um, the, the point is that it's very, very difficult to predict the dynamics of these markets. Um, so you need to buy those kind of companies when the sentiment is as negative as it is today. And so we like we like Intera. Uh We don't think the dividend is going to stay at double digits here for too much longer. But yeah. we still like the fact that uh, they've got they've got good, um, good opportunity uh, when the weather gets a little colder and you'll see a pop in the stock. That's that's basically how we're viewing it. And for the longer term. All right, Mike, thanks so much. We appreciate your time today.
Thanks, Kelly. See you. Mike Vogelzang. Coming up, one of the most influential voices in the investing world, Burton Malkiel, author of A Random Walk Down Wall Street, is here to mark the 50th anniversary of his classic book and why it remains relevant today. But first, we're awaiting the FDA's decision on whether to approve a new treatment for Alzheimer's. The details and potential pricing next. And as we head to break, here's a quick check on the markets. Dow was up 630 at the highs. We're only about 80 points off that right now. Russell 2000 small caps leading the way with a 1.9% gain and the 10-year yield below 3.6. The exchange is back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. Another round of voting complete for the House Speakership. Do we have a conclusion, Elon Moy? Kelly, we do not have a conclusion, but Kevin McCarthy was able to split the opposition during the 12th round of votes for Speaker of the House. Now, that vote is just wrapping up, and in total, McCarthy was able to move 13 Republicans into his camp after a marathon session of negotiations that began last night, went into this morning, and continued even on the House floor. Now, once again, to be clear, McCarthy does not still, even now, have enough votes to become Speaker, but this is the first sign of forward momentum that he has shown all week. Now, he may have to make some big concessions in order to secure that support, including potentially putting some of these members on the committee that controls which bills go to the House floor, agreeing to allowing any single member to force a vote that would oust him as Speaker, as well as agreeing to allow some votes on policy issues like a balanced budget. But again, McCarthy showing some momentum here. He said earlier today that he would shock us when this vote started, and at the very least, he can point to some progress, Kelly. Yes. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that counts as shocking, uh, but we like the optimism. Elon, (laughs) thank you for now. We'll keep checking back in. Elon Moy on Capitol Hill today. Meantime, defense stocks taking a dive midday on those reports that Kevin McCarthy's deal with other Republicans would hold defense spending steady rather than hiking it. Raytheon, Lockheed, Northrop, all hitting session lows on that news, as you can see right there. Uh, Raytheon, by the way, at least has turned positive. We also have the FDA expected to decide on whether to approve a new Alzheimer's treatment today. But there's still a lot of debate around this new drug and its potential cost to the millions of patients living with Alzheimer's. Meg Terrell has the details. Meg? 
Hey, Kelly. Well, this is a drug from Biogen and its Japanese partner, Asi. And of course, it is the second such drug to come uh, from these two companies in the last two years. And the first one has cast a really long shadow on the entire field. Of course, the first one was called Aduhelm. It was cleared in June of 2021. And you can see that's when the Biogen stock took such a large jump up. But it's come down from there and gave even more back as just bad thing after bad thing kept happening. Biogen set the price at $56,000 a year which was way more than a lot of people thought it should cost, given equivocal clinical data. Uh, and then Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services refused to cover the drug except in certain clinical trials. Then, of course, just last week, there was a congressional investigation into how the FDA approved this drug. Uh, so it's just been kind of a flop overall. Now, this next drug, which is called Lacanumab, is being led by ASI uh, as the partner. They had a positive phase three trial, which showed a 27 percent uh less slowing or less cognitive decline uh, than placebo. So that was a pretty clear, if clinically questionable, um, benefit seen in this drug. It's expected to be priced lower, perhaps twenty to $30,000 a year. We'll have to see where that ends up. They do have the same brain swelling, brain bleeding side effect concerns, but perhaps slightly less with this drug than with the previous one. So Kelly, there's a lot of questions here on what we're going to see from the FDA, expected accelerated approval, what this is going to cost. Uh, and on Monday, we're going to have Biogen CEO Chris Vibacher on to join us to talk about that from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Super Kelly, interesting. Uh, roughly, what's the time frame, Meg, for us hearing about that call, that decision today? The the decision is expected today, so we don't know exactly what time the FDA could put it out at any point, but it is expected today. Okay, great. Meg, thank you very much, our Meg Terrell. For more on what an FDA approval of this drug would mean for Biogen stock and what uh, non-approval might do as well, let's bring in Michael Yee. He's managing director at Jefferies. Michael, it's good to see you. So, oh my gosh, this is taking me back to when we were here talking about uh, the previous treatment and, and to Meg's point, what a debacle that has been. How much of a breakthrough is this new one, do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. It's great to be here with you. You know, this is an important step, I think, certainly for Alzheimer's patients to finally get a drug formally on the market with much more clear efficacy than the prior drug that Meg referred to. And it really is, I think, the first step, as there is a long pipeline of other drugs coming, to get Biogen and Eastside uh, on the market, get this drug to patients, and ultimately a whole uh, combination approach and other drugs. So we need to see the price. We also need reimbursement. Uh, which is an important step as well. So patience here, but this is an important uh, milestone for Biogen. Biogen shares are shading around 280. Maybe we can pull out like a five-year chart and show that pop to 400 or so back on the first one's approval. Um, do you think it's sort of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me for investors here? Well, I think that's the opportunity. You take a look exactly what you refer to, which is we totally got fooled on the first go-around last year with a lot of fumbles and a lot of disappointment. Uh, and the second time here we go again, there has been a pullback on the stock. And there's definitely a lot of uncertainty as I speak with investors, certainly about the launch of the drug, the price of the drug, and importantly, reimbursement by CMS, which could take a year or so. So I do think there will be a lot of debate. I do think that's the opportunity for investors. And therefore, uh, when this drug is approved, I do think the stock can move higher as those things happen and as we climb the wall of worry. I know Scott Gottlieb was also on this morning referring to reimbursement likely to happen. Hmm. So let's get the first step here, approval today. Shares are up about 3.5% today. Is that anticipation of approval, or is that what's going on that Elon Moy just told us about in the House, where it looks like we're, we're looking at a lot of gridlock? Well, I think that uh, the stock has, first of all, pulled back a bunch. Uh, I know there's some uncertainty around it. 
Uh, I would say we put out a note this week talking about it's generally expected. So for investors, I don't expect a huge move. And I'd also forewarn people to suspect that there's a chance for some delay uh, due to logistics and administrative issues with the whole data set and a review of the safety. So even if it was down a little bit on some delay, we'd be buyers of the stock. So uh, we think it should happen. Be patient here. I know the drug should be called Lacambi is what I'm hearing. So be patient here. But any administrative delay, too, would just be a temporary. And then finally, kind of to the point about what what's happening on Capitol Hill, do you think there's a rational reason to bid up this sector on anticipation that maybe there's there's a kind of nothing much to come of the rest of this Congress? Yeah, I think importantly, if you take a look at the larger biotech group as a whole, whether that be Amgen or Gilead, and you know we just recently upgraded Moderna, which we think has a significant upside uh, this year, is the fact that these stocks have been generally beaten down over the last few years. Uh, investors have not really played biotech for a while. There's certainly a lot of pipeline things going on. If we're going into a recession, gridlock, and other issues, look, this can be a good place to be. Certainly, I think visibility and earnings numbers in a recession are going to be more defensible for cancer drugs. And so we like this space. Uh, we like these large biotech names here in 2023. All right, we have to go. But are they going to have an RSV vaccine, like, anytime soon? Parents wonder. <laughs> Eminently, that is the next catalyst on Moderna. I'm looking for that. I think there could be a 10% move in the stock on that. I do think it should be positive. Let's uh, see. We could see that next week. But I think they have an RSV vaccine. Wow, that'd be great. Michael, thank you so much. Good to see you. See you guys. Michael Yee. Coming up, the Invesco Solar ETF TAN is on pace to snap a four-week losing streak. We'll tell you what's giving those stocks a boost today. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map with Dow Inc. and Walgreens leading the way. Walgreens continuing uh, to perform after its earnings. UNH and Home Depot, the only two in the red. The exchange is back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to the exchange. Green across the board right now. The Nasdaq's leading the way. The small caps actually are also up just under 2% today. All of this after the weaker data on wages and that disappointing ISM report. The employment index uh, dropping to, into contraction. New orders dropping by almost 11 points. Let's get to Contessa Brewer now for a CNBC News update. Contessa? Hi there, Kelly. And here's what's happening right now. Party City, we are hearing from the Wall Street Journal, is preparing to file bankruptcy within weeks, citing people familiar with the situation. Party favor retailer reportedly blames the move on lower sales amid soaring inflation. We have reached out to Party City. We haven't had a comment back, but as soon as we do, we will bring that to you. The mother of the shooter in the Robb Elementary massacre in Uvalde, Texas, was arrested this week following a domestic violence-related incident. Adriana Martinez-Reyes was arrested in, uh, in Oklahoma City Wednesday, charged with threatening an act of violence and assault and battery, according to a police report. Real Housewives star Jennifer Shaw was sentenced to six and a half years in prison 
after pleading guilty to committing wire fraud in a telemarketing scheme that targeted elderly people. As part of her plea deal, she agreed to forfeit $6.5 million and pay as much as $9.5 million in restitution. Kelly, I'll send it back to you. I saw that she was crying, Contessa, and saying, I just play a character on TV. Don't read too much into it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, Contessa, thank you. Up next, you can't beat the market. Is that still true these days? Burt Malkiel, the man who popularized index investing in his book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, will join us to celebrate its 50th anniversary and weigh in on current market conditions. We're back after this. Whether passive or active, last year was rough for pretty much all kinds of investors. But no matter what happens, Wall Street legend Burt Malkiel is sticking with index investing, saying it's an optimal strategy now more than ever. And he literally wrote the book about it. His influential A Random Walk Down Wall Street, you'll recognize it, is celebrating its 50th anniversary. And he still believes you can't beat the market. Joining us now is the man himself, Princeton professor Burt Malkiel, along with our very own Bob Pisani. Bob, welcome. Thank you. And Bert, congratulations on the 50th anniversary. It's quite a milestone. Now, 50 years ago, to remind everybody, you suggested that what the average investor needed was a low-cost index fund that tracked the overall market like the S&P 500. You got what you wanted, Bert. So tell us, 50 years later, is the evidence stronger or weaker for index funds as the way to go? Bob, I believe even more strongly today than I did 50 years ago that it's the way to go. You know, every year, uh, Standard & Poor's does a report. It's called their SPIBA report. It's the uh, Standard & Poor's indices uh, versus active managers. And every year, like clockwork, Two-thirds of the active managers are beaten by the index, and the one-third who win one year aren't the same as the one-third who win in the next year. And so when you compound this over 10 or 20 years, you find that 90% of active managers are outperformed by the index. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible to outperform. But it's like looking for a needle in the haystack. And if you try to go active, the odds are overwhelming that you will do worse than average rather than better than average. And just to put one other statistic from the SPIVA report out, on average, the active manager underperforms the index by about 100 basis points, by almost 100 basis points. And uh, as you know now, with exchange-traded funds, you can get a broad-based index for an expense ratio that's very, very close to zero. You know, you famously said in the title of the book is a random walk down Wall Street. What do you mean by a random walk? People often ask me that. The stocks exhibit a random walk pattern. What exactly does that mean? And what's the conclusion about that? Well, essentially what it means is, while there is some momentum in the stock market, and we always hear about that, particularly from the technicians, uh, it's not dependable enough to make money consistently. And in fact, the development of prices from day to day uh, and from week to week are very close to what the statistician would call 
uh, absolutely random, like a set of random numbers. And so the effect of this is to say a random walk market is essentially an unpredictable market. Bert, it's yeah. Kelly. And you, maybe you, you have could, a fame. Oh, oh, oh sorry about that. I, I was just going to ask kind of uh, rather, uh, you know, I just wanted to know, Bert, what you would make of the current stock market landscape. You know, we've been through this tremendous COVID, very unprecedented time. You know better than anybody all these market cycles we've been through. What do you think of where markets are today? I think markets are still uh, relatively expensive. And the metric that I use, uh, which is not a metric that's going to predict short-term changes. I'm still the random walker. Nobody can predict the short-term changes. But what does the best metric to predict long-run changes, long-run returns, is the so-called CAPE ratio. In other words, the cyclically adjusted price earnings multiple, not the multiple on 2020 earnings, not the multiple on expected 2023 earnings, but rather the multiple on the average earnings over the last decade, what the old Graham and Dodd book would have called earning power. And that metric is well above average. And what it suggests to me is not for the next year or two years, I can't do that, but it suggests that returns over the next decade are less likely to be the 9 or 10% historical returns over the last 100 years, but much more uh, in uh, uh, perhaps the 5 to 6% range. You know, you uh, famously talk about the random walk, and it's important to for people to understand that this is exhibited in throughout life, this random walk pattern. There's a very famous chapter in your book, in a random walk, about basketball players, <laughs> where you talk about the gambler's fallacy, where people have the illusion that because basketball players hit three shots in a row, they're going to hit the fourth shot. And it's not true. There is a random walk pattern exhibited, even in people betting in basketball games on basketball players. Can, that, that's an important insight in life in general, in addition to just investing in the stock market. No, I, Bob, I think it absolutely is that what memory plays tricks on you, you much more remember uh, sequences that are the same from period to period. You much more remember that this 50 percent free throw shooter uh, hit the last five in a row. And so you believe that there are streaks. But what happened was uh, Danny Kahneman, who basically uh, wrote the book on behavioral finance, uh, he and his colleague Tversky did studies of the basketball players at Cornell University and the Philadelphia 76ers and found, you know, it wasn't true. The players themselves believed that if they made the last five shots in a row, they were more likely to make the next one. But the 50% free throw shooter has a probability of 50% of making the next shot, no matter what the previous five shots were. It's an important insight into behavioral economics and what people, how people look for patterns. You have been very critical in the past, uh, and we've talked a number of times about ESG, environmental, social, and governance funds. 
And, and even though they were very popular and have been popular for the last three or four years, you have not been a big fan of theirs. Can you explain what you don't like about them? Well, uh, look, I think it's wonderful to uh, have yourself feel good by investing in companies uh, that are going to be for the social good. What I worry about, though, is that the ESG funds don't actually do that. Supposedly, you're supposed to be able to do good things for society and do well financially. And I'm not sure you do either. And the reason is that I'm not sure what is a good company. For example, uh, there's a utility, Excel Energy in the Midwest, uh, that's a, quote, bad company. Why are they bad? Because they burn coal. But Excel is the only utility that has uh, actually promised to be completely carbon-free by a date certain. They're making huge investments in solar and wind. So are they good? because of the investments that they are making, or bad because they're still burning some coal. Natural gas companies, are they bad because they're carbon? Or are they okay or even good because gas is the cleanest burning carbon? And do we feel great because we own Visa uh, and Facebook or Meta as it's called now? Uh, do we feel that those are great companies because uh, they generally don't pollute? Uh, or are there things about the high interest rates uh, and uh, what's happening to some of our teenage ch children and grandchildren that we don't like uh, about the whole uh, uh, social media business? So, again, the problem is I don't know what's good and what's bad. And, in fact, the Raiders... There are uh, raters who give an ESG rating. They disagree completely. The correlation between two rating agencies is as low as 0.4. And just to put that in perspective, the correlation between Moody's and Standard & Poor's in doing debt ratings is 0.995. So we don't even know uh, what's good and what's bad. Apple gets a perfect governance okay. rating from one agency and a lousy yeah. one, worst one on another. So yeah. we don't know. And yeah. also, they don't outperform. Uh, the ESG funds yeah. are expensive, and they have underperformed broad-based index funds that I favor. Okay. All right, Bert, you, uh, you and Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, and a small, tiny group of other people had a wonderful idea 50 years ago, and I'm sure you're very pleased to see the influence that you've had uh, on the markets. Congratulations on the 50th anniversary of the book, and look forward to chatting in the future. Kelly, back to you. Bob, thank you, and a huge thanks to Bert Malkiel for joining us on such a significant day as well. That was great. Coming up... Never mind recession proof. Wells Fargo saying one part of the solar industry could see a recession boost. Those details and the companies it's turning positive on are next. Welcome back. The Invesco Solar Fund down about 7% over the past month, but getting a big lift today after Wells Fargo said it's turning positive on the industry. They're saying a recession could actually be good for one part of the supply chain. Got to hear this one. Pippa Stevens is here with it. Pippa? 
That's right, Kelly. Wells Fargo said a recession could be a tailwind for residential solar, and that's because consumers still pay energy bills even during downturns. And with utility rates rising and some solar leases requiring no upfront cash, consumers could look to cut monthly costs by getting panels. The firm upgraded shares of Sunrun and Sonova, as well as panel manufacturer First Solar, to overweight. Now, Wells Fargo is optimistic on the industry broadly for four key reasons. Regulatory overhangs are in the rearview mirror. There's strong underlying demand, especially in Europe. Margins are expanding. And then, of course, there are tax credits from the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, overall, the firm's top picks are inverter makers Enphase and SolarEdge due to business moats and attractive margins. But, of course, Kelly, rising rates remains a key risk for the industry. Huge risk, uh, to put it mildly. Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens, coming up. Write a TV-style tease about Microsoft shares falling, but why ChatGPT could boost its bottom line. What do we have? Are Microsoft share prices in a free fall? Find out why their newest technology, ChatGPT, could be the key to turning things around and boosting their bottom line. That was pretty good, Pippa. That was pretty good. We'll be back after this. Microsoft is down 7% this week and is trading near its 52-week low. And just this morning, FTC Chair Lena Khan told our Andrew Ross Sorkin their action against Activision is fair game. Now, as Microsoft's valuation drops, however, ChatGPT's valuation pops. And remember, Microsoft is part of this. The Wall Street Journal reporting the company is seeking a $29 billion valuation, and Microsoft has already sunk a billion into it. So between Activision and OpenAI, which way is the stock supposed to be going? Here to discuss is Casey Newton platformer editor and CNBC contributor, along with our very own Steve Kovac. First of all, Steve, what do we know about this valuation deal? Yeah, so right now it looks like they're trying to, according to this journal report, raise $300 million by selling existing shares at this $29 billion valuation. I'm not sure what that would be per share, mm -hmm. but this is just the fundraising mechanism. So that one, if this is on paper, a $29 billion company now look, no rep or n no meaningful revenue at all. So if you if you want a data point that we're not heading into a recession, Kelly, here's a pre-revenue tech totally. startup valued at twenty nine billion dollars. Do you know what its previous valuation? Did it, it even? It was uh, Casey would be able to tell me that it was it was billion. it was in like the tens billions, tens right, Casey? I think yeah, yeah. Casey, like that. so and, and I totally take Steve's point, and that's what makes the timing so fascinating here. Everything else in tech has blown up, and is you know it's winter except for this. Do you think? that this valuation is justified, or is everyone just piling into the only thing going on right now? Well, I can sort of see it both ways. I do think there's a lot of upside here, right? OpenAI releases ChatGPT in November. It gains a million users within about three days. It can be used for a lot of things that Google can be used for. And if you had a chance to invest at in Google at $29 billion, you'd probably take it, right? You know, they do have tens of millions of dollars in revenue, mostly by selling access to their developer API. And so I think that's sort of another point in their favor. I think the question is, how do you get from here to there? And there's still a lot to be figured out. And I know, Steve, that we're all supposed to have learned the lesson of, yes, it's important to ask how they're monetized or else right. it could go away. But in this case, we've all used this. We just joked around with it into the break. The technology is so profound. It feels like when Google, for, remember when Gmail was free? Yeah. Oh my God. And yeah. Google actually gave I, you search results right. and not just advertising. It doesn't matter. I mean, at some point, if enough people use ChatBT because it's functional and it works, they can answer those uh, monetization well, questions. I, I think this is why there's, we heard reports from our own Jen Elias, who covers Google for us, 
saying Google employees are concerned about this. They're concerned they're about to be leapfrogged, and they're asking their leaders, what are we doing about this chat GPT thing? Why don't we have an answer to this? Because, look, Google search is ripe for disruption right now. Like you said, if you search for something in Google, Good especially luck. on a mobile device, yes. you have to swipe forever before you actually get those organic results. And I know Casey could talk about this, too. A lot of people have to kind of game their Google searches to put add on like, you know, if I'm looking for a product review, add on Wirecutter, add on Reddit yes. in order to your search results in order to get what you're actually looking for. It's become for. the very thing that it was meant to display. Exactly. Casey, so I've also seen people saying, look, if you from an investment point of view, if you want to be long this kind of technology, you know, is it the company itself or is it something like NVIDIA, which the the data requirements here, you should just be logging the energy sector practically because those demands are going to be enormous. That's right. These chips uh, and this computing power is uh, really expensive. And so I do think that, yeah, if you want to sort of uh, invest up the stack, there's probably going to be some upside for you there. Um, but look, there's probably upside in Alphabet as well, right? Let's not forget that Alphabet has its own large language model. And in fact, some people I've spoken to say that it's at least as good, maybe even better than OpenAI's. Google's just been a little bit more reticent to ship it into the market. So if and when that happens, Google could see some upside too. That is a great point. I feel like it's time. You know, let, let us add it because otherwise we're all just going to be the insult. Responsibly game though. I don't want my job replaced by an AI quite not, yet. Yeah. yeah, you and me both. Yeah. Casey Newton, Steve Kovac, thank you very much. Thanks. Still ahead, Tesla shares reversing course now higher, but down more than 14% this week. Why the drop? What it means for Tesla's bottom line? That's next. Welcome back. One more thing before we go. Shares of Tesla reversing course and now positive by one and a half percent. They're just under $112 a share. They initially dropped on that news of cutting prices yet again, this time in China. Let's get Phil LeBeau with the latest details. Phil? Kelly, anytime a company has to cut prices, especially in the auto industry, people say, what's going to happen with margins? We'll talk about that in a bit. This is the second time Tesla has cut prices in China. Here's the latest on these price cuts. They are impacting China, as well as other Asian markets that are supplied by the Shanghai Gigafactory, Model 3 and Model Y in China, down 6 to 13.5%. And again, this is the second time in the last several months they've cut the prices down 13 to 24% if you go back to September. Shanghai production is critical for this company. It is their largest gigafactory, and yet deliveries in December down 21% compared to the same month in 2021, compared to November down 44%. Their deliveries in December were the lowest since July, which raises the question, is there a slowdown in demand in China or is there something else like the COVID crisis over there being a temporary impact on demand? We won't have a better sense of that, at least for several weeks, I think. But the thing that people are going to be focused on when Tesla reports its Q4 results on January 25th, It'll be the automotive gross margins, Kelly. They came in at 27.6% in the last report. Many people believe it's going to be down closer to 25%. They have some advantages in China, lower cost of goods. That helps them a little bit. But at the same time, they've cut prices now twice in the last several months. Do we expect them to cut prices further here, uh, Phil? Here in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Is that, is that your question? Yes. You know, they, they offer discounts. Uh, they offer discounts at the end of the fourth quarter. Whether or not that continues uh, is, a, is a good question. But we haven't seen that uh, to the same extent that we saw at the end of last year. All right. We'll see if it stays that way uh, for now. Phil, thank you very much. Our Phil Lebeau reporting on Tesla. That does it for the exchange today, everybody. Thanks for your time. Power Lunch begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.